Bounce, your host Grand Cannon and Brady Shaw. We're here to talk the next 10 films in the AFI Top 100 list, 60 through 51. Um, got some interesting choices on here. Graham, first of all, uh, any any that stick out to you of kind of some of these maybe all-time classics? Some of these aren't all-time classics, though. I think that's the <laughs> kind of point of this. I think that's why the 6351 is kind of like an interesting area. Because sure. another list we've had, like maybe one and two, were like they could be on or off the list, except for Forrest Gump, which is gone. But this is just some films that are rated really high, some films that are rated really low. It's interesting discussion because some of these are films that launch careers. Some of these are films that really, in retrospect, they aren't that great of films. But it's important for us to talk about them. But let's just jump right into it. Sure. Number 60, Duck Soup from 1933, directed by Leo McCary, written by Brett Calmer and Hey Ruby, and stars the Marx Brothers, Groucho, Harpo, Chico, and Zeppo is back for this one. Really funny film, I found. And I think it executes better on the strengths of the Marx Brothers than A Night at the Opera. Yeah, I've, I thought this movie was good, mm-hmm. but I like Night at the Opera more. Because okay. the bits, the gags sure. in Night at the Opera are more classic to me. Gotcha. When I think of the Marx Brothers, I think of those. This is more like a character, like you get to meet Groucho and he's the main character of this one. And you could see him just do his wits on display. He's doing everything he sure. wants to do, and it really—it's a really well-made film. Really was kind of—it was a flop at the time. It wasn't a big, really wasn't a big film, but it was now in retrospect to seen as like a classic, maybe the like the quintessential Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. But I think I like Night of the Opera more. I think Harpo really steals the show in this one. Yeah, he does. He's really good in this movie. Yeah, I I really think that um, as opposed to Night at the Opera where I think that Groucho kind of takes more of the forefront, and he definitely is the lead in this one as well, but I think that really just Chico and Harpo um, kind of really just shine in this one. I think one of my favorite gags in it is the mirror scene. Yeah, I mean, it's cl- that's classic. For sure. It's one of the most iconic scenes because, like, you see that it's every cartoon after this. There's, like, a bet, like... Uh, but Chuck Jones saw that and was like, we're going to put that in every Looney Tunes cartoon. It's going to be like a Daffy Duck thing every sure. time. It's so well done. This is a time when the Marx Brothers were kind of out of favor in Hollywood because they had done a film, they had done a couple of films and they weren't successful. That They produced, directed, and had no focus, just was focused around the gags. And they, the studio literally brought in a director so they could be focused mm-hmm. on this. And I think it really shows. Absolutely. Um Margaret Dumont is also in this film. She was in seven Marx Brothers films. Um, she, according to uh, my research, apparently she was she did not really get their jokes on or off. No, screen. she got them. She was she was a very she's a, a vaudeville actress. She was mm-hmm. a comedian. She was her solo act before this. She was a comedian before that. Groucho says that a lot. Yeah. But Groucho also just didn't like her because because mm. she would steal the, the screen. She would steal like she used to steal a stage, and vaudeville. So that's why he, I think he said that. Sure. But she was she's hilarious in this movie. Oh yeah, she she plays she, a straight she plays a straight man. Mm-hmm. And I, I think she really is uh, great on that great in that role because it honestly Groucho's humor and kind of his like innuendos and kind of quick wit doesn't com- really work if there's not a straight per- a really great straight woman or man to kind of play off of. Yeah, because I mean it's just it's just him bang 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 bang. And also, it's really funny now because he talks so fast. Oh yeah! Like he, he talks a mile a minute. You have to sometimes. I had to back up and rewatch some stuff 
on this because I watched it recently. Um, it's a fun. It's a really funny movie. The biggest thing is, should there be more than one Marx Brothers on this list? It's tough. I mean, they're definitely influential in the comedy scene. They are. I I don't know. I I think that I, if I had to choose only one, I would probably take Duck Soup over Night at the Opera personally. I mean, it's kind of a coin flip for me because sure. I, I I like Night at the Opera for the bits more. Yeah. But this is more of a story that's is more story driven. It's also really tight. It's only it's just over an hour. Yeah, and it doesn't and it just flies by. It's like it feels like you're in a movie theater. Maybe you're watching this for like ten minutes. Absolutely. I honestly I don't have a problem with both of them being on the list. Yeah. Just because I think the Marx Brothers played such a key role in comedy at that time and just the influence. Well, years today, on. I mean, they and were, today too. I mean, yeah. he ad libbed stuff like yeah. how many movies are just ad libbed at this point? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we wouldn't be where we are. Um, comedy-wise, if it weren't for the Marx Brothers. Uh, it was also inducted into the National Film Registry in 1990. Uh, do you think it's too high on the list? I would put I would put Night at the Opera above it because I think Night at the Opera kind of influenced... Because there's a lot of visual gags in that one. Mm-hmm. But I think Duck Soup... I think because it was the only one that was nominated for an Oscar, I believe. Um, no, was no it? it was not. Neither oh. neither were nominated okay. for Oscars. I would say I would say Duck Soup probably ahead of it, okay. Because I think it's just a tighter film. Sure. Yeah, I I really I really like when comedies kind of just get to the point. Yeah, like I, th- I think there are, there are times where you can kind of add a lot of fluff to it. Yeah, because like I'm, if they try to do this movie today, he would somehow get tricked into being it. It's like this is the beginning. He's just like, Groucho's just there. Like yeah. he's in Fredonia, and they and he's like doing his thing. Like yeah. it's not like. Today I'd be like Adam Sandler's like taking his time getting there, and then they get there and all the shenanigans start. Now it, then it's just like we're here, we're doing all these jokes, like pick up the pace, keep up, keep up with us. Sure, and it also I just obviously being brothers helps, but really just the way that Chico, Harpo, and Groucho play off each other is just the chemistry is magnetic. Honestly, I it, mean they just know each other so like they know sure. each other's tendencies so well that they can just go like. They, someone says something, someone like in Harpo just will kind of stand there and do like a motion. You're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, it seems like it's really choreographed, but I bet a lot of the stuff is just on the fly. Like, they're like, keep the camera rolling. I got something to do. Sure. And I, I just really like Harpo, I think, because like Groucho and Chico kind of play with like the quick witty stuff they say, but Harpo really just uses his whole body. I mean, he doesn't talk. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a silent character. Yeah. He's kind of just like, he's kind of just like nodding and does stuff. He's kind of like, he's kind of a predecessor to Silent Bob. Mm hmm. Today, he sure. like he does a lot of expressive stuff, but he's really just there as he's there for comedic relief, a lot of slapstick. Sure. While these guys are doing all the quick, quick witty stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Duck Soup definitely deserves to be on the list for sure. Um, and let's get into the movie that we discuss. We we're trying to discuss. Oh boy! Uh, moving on here, number fifty-nine, Nashville, from nineteen seventy-five, um, directed by Robert Altman, written by Joan Tewksbury. Uh, stars Keith Carradine, Karen Black, Lily Tomlin, Ronnie Blakely. Also has um, <gasps> Ned Beatty, um, Jeff Goldblum in one of his first roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and Elliot, I, I just put down here, an Elliot Gould cameo that's kind of funny. Um, Shelley Duvall, pre-Shining, uh, and Scott Glenn. The best way to describe it, I think, is like Magnolia. Like Pete, Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia, but like 20 years before. I want to say it has about 25 main-ish characters. I think it was 24, if I remember what it said. 24 or 25. Like the little synopsis I read. Mm. I did not watch this movie all the way through. I was 
kind of just watching snippets of it. Sure. Um, snippets I found I did not find interesting. Yeah, it's it's really kind of a, a tough sell, I think. Um, it's like two hours, 40 minutes, if I remember right. So it's pretty long. Again, there are a lot of moving pieces to this. And what, probably my biggest criticism of it is I really like what Robert Altman did um, as far as talking about um, and really kind of making a satire of, um, which is one of his best things. I think political commentary is Robert Altman's best I mean, he has another trait. movie on this little top, t- this little tin that we talked sure. about. And MASH, but he, like... He's an incredible, he was he was an incredible satirical director and just making a statement with his films and about America's obsession with celebrity and power and how these people are descending on Nashville to just get famous without really going through all the hard work that goes in, into that. And also just anti-establishment politics with Nixon in office and all that. But at the end of the day, there's no focus no. It, it's just kind of meandering through these different stories. And honestly, Lily Tomlin's cool. Keith Carradine's character's fun. Uh, Ned Beatty as um, Delbert Reese is really interesting. And Barbara Jean, Barbara Jean's arc is fine. But at the end of the day, I just didn't find myself caring, which is honestly... But one, that's what happens when you have so many yeah. characters. Because like, the thing with Magnolia that we were talking about earlier was you care about Tom Cruise. Like That's the main story that you're focused on. That's why that film works. Mm-hmm. This is like a bunch of people. They end up at the same place. Some of these stories maybe overlap. Sure. But this one's like, we have these stories that overlap. But you're focused on this one central story. Whereas like a film like Pulp Fiction, which is lower on the list, I think handles this kind of situation better. A lot of over- overlapping things, sure. but it's like you focused on these characters in this moment. Again, I think that kind of just this power struggle, if you will, and kind of how it's all building up to meeting back at the Parthenon for the concert um, for the replacement party candidate, and then Parva Jean gets shot at the end and all that. But I, at the end of the day, I just think the presentation and the execution just aren't there. One of the one of the famous bits, um, Robert Altman had the, his cast write original songs, write their own songs for the, um, okay. for the film. So Keith Carradine, um, one of his... One of the famous scenes where he he sings "I'm Easy" in the bar that he wrote that, and he won an Oscar for it for best original song. Um, it was nominated for five Oscars. It was also nominated for best picture, best director, supporting actress for Lily Tomlin, and supporting actress for Ronnie. Also, Lily Tomlin, Blakely. probably the most underrated actress, one of the most underrated actresses. Sure, love Lily Tomlin. Oh yeah, she's great. She's great in this. She's honestly is great in this film too. Yeah. Um, but uh, Best Picture that year, we kind of talked about it a little last week. But Best Picture that year is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest We'll one. get to that soon. Um, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, Barry Lyndon, Nashville. One of the uh, hardest, like one of the best class sure. classes of all time. You can make an argument it is the best class, honestly. Inducted into the National Film Registry in 1992. Robert Altman, I think, he, he kind of is a director that really just does not care what people think. It really is just very much his own thing. Yeah, I've noticed. I mean, Robert Altman is really famous for, like you said, satirical. But this is playing off of the feel of the time because um, Nixon, this is right after Watergate. So this is kind of building on that kind of same tension. Like we have a third party candidate mm-hmm. is up for election. That's the whole point of this entire film is that there are people who want to be country music stars. There's people who are there for the political convention. But it all culminates in this final scene. I didn't see it all the way through. But from what you've told me, it needs to go. I I don't, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't think this is that great of a film. So I, I guess kind of my answer is it shouldn't be on this list. I think this is also, like, the voters of the AFI, some of these are just, like, 
they're kind of just like legacy picks. Mm-hmm. Like Nashville was on the original list, but then they carried over to this one, and it just seems like there's better films on this list that sure. could be definitely ahead of this. Better Robert Altman films, honestly, if we're just going by yeah. that. I will say, uh, before we move on, quick shout out to uh, Jeff Goldblum's uh, uh, motorcycle in this film. They even they even point out they it's very meta in the way that they really point out his it's like easy the one in Easy Rider mm. he just has the huge handlebars up here. Yeah. Shout out to Jeff Goldblum. Um, all right, One let's of the best move on. actors, come on. He's awesome. Um, move on to number 58, The Gold Rush um, from 1925, written and directed by Charlie Chaplin. Stars Charlie Chaplin, Max Wayne, Tom Murray, and Georgia Hale. Uh, there are two versions of this film. From yeah. 1925 and 1942, have you seen both versions? No, I've only seen, I've seen the cut I saw in class, which I think Do was 42. Do you know 42. which one? It was 40, it was, did it have narration? No, it was 25 Okay, then. it was 25 then, because yeah. 42 had um, Chaplin went back and cut out a few scenes, reworked it, and then added narration to it. So I think I saw the 25 cut. Okay. Um, 25 cut actually was lost for a while, from what I understand. I think that's why to, they watched it. I think, yeah, I they, think. yeah, they just read, I think they just, like, found it within the last, like, 10 or 15 years. So or I bet like that's that. why we watched yeah. it because it was, that was the Chapel film I watched at KU. Gotcha. The synopsis here, a prospector goes to the Klondike in search of gold and finds it and more. Kind of a simple premise in that respect, but really just Chaplin is kind of in his bag. Yeah, I mean, it's Chaplin at the height of his power. Yeah. It's Chaplin doing, like, he did things in this movie that you just look at it and go, you wouldn't be able to do that unless you were just like he was the owner of United Artists, so he's like, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Let me do what I want. Sure. Like the famous eating the shoe, mm-hmm. which is a liquor shoe. <laughs> he just did. I mean, he could do whatever he wanted. Sure. I like this film, mm. but I think, like, it's kind of it's reminiscent of. I'm not a big silent movie person. I like silent movies. Sure. Okay. But this one, I didn't like the title cards. I didn't like that breaking the flow of. Okay. Of, of the film. Got you. But I still, I respect this film because it's Charlie Chaplin at, when he was the tramp. Mm-hmm. Like people, him without his makeup, people didn't know who he was. Sure. So he was a tramp at this point. Yeah. Um, this film really does work for me. I think I've noticed over the last couple of years that I've kind of grown into uh, silent films. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I will say it really helps. Um, I, I think it really depends on the, the score yeah, um, I think the score is a fantastic for this film. It is. It's really good. Uh, Max Tear did a great job. He's nominated for an Oscar for it. And we must preface this: the Oscars came out were twenty seven, mm-hmm. first one. So they had films from the past like five years get nominated for this. Yeah. So it got it got nominated because of like the Oscars came out in twenty seven. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, the score is great. I think there are a lot of great setups. You mentioned the shoe scene. I think the hallucination where he turns into the rooster. Yeah. Um, was really well done. Yeah. Um, I love the bear. Yeah. In this film that kind of just wanders around through through the foreground. Um, I noticed watching this film is that the tramp was kind of the OG sad boy hours, in a way because I think that he uh, he kind of stumbles into the situation and is uh, I feel like he's he's he kind of just. Is looking out the window all sad for part of the film? I mean, he's the reason he's sad is because he's trapped in this yeah. cabin and it's snowing, and he's like, I, "I got gold." Also, is this the good version of the Hateful Eight? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like as much as well, I mean, it's just like maybe three or four characters instead of eight sure. stuck in the cabin. Sure. But it's, um, I mean, it's just Chaplin doing what he wanted. Like, yeah. This film, I don't think it would have been made in any other studio at the time. Mm-hmm. A guy basically starving to death in a cabin. Yeah. 
He eats his own shoes. <laughs> he cooks his own shoes. It's not doesn't eat them. He cooks them. Yeah. And then feeds it to his friend who uh, starts hallucinating. Again, like we mentioned, it was nominated for two Oscars, uh, Best Sound and Best Score. Um, inducted the National Film Registry in 1992. Uh, Charlie Chaplin, as we kind of uh, mentioned with Modern Times, uh, one of the most important figures in cinematic history. If we're talking early, like, Hollywood, he is the figure. Like, mm-hmm. we won't have uh, people like Cameron or Spielberg today without Chaplin. Sure. Because he controlled everything. He owned the studio. He was a director. He was the writer. He was a producer. He did the music. He did the sound. He did everything. He had his hand in every single thing, and he really launched film to new heights. Sure, he's probably one of the, he's he may be the most important he's maybe the most important figure in film history. Sure, I mean definitely has an argument there. He was just a really talented storyteller. Yeah, and I, I think that also is part of the reason why uh, it can be a tough sell for silent films. I think, but if you just have a really good story. It doesn't really matter what the medium is. No, and if you can act on it, too. Yeah. Because, like, the slapstick in this is funny. The hallucination scene, classic. Mm-hmm. It's classic because he looks like a chicken. Like, sure, yeah. It's really funny, and it's just really... He took pride in his films. It wasn't just to make a quick buck. He took time, and he took the pride, he took pride to make these. And you can tell, and he, he does a really good job with this one. I definitely think... I, I think the Gold Rush does, belongs on this list. Yeah, I believe it belongs on this list. Yeah. I don't know where it lands. I, yeah. don't, I think top 60 is kind of high. Sure. But I, City Lights is still which is much further up the list. Yeah. It is one of my favorite films. Um, I think this could be, it should be on the list. Absolutely. Yeah, I I, I think you can maybe move it down a bit, but not by much because it definitely still holds up. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny, it's entertaining, and it goes. it's, it's really well paced, just about an hour and a half. Um, yeah. Good film. Uh, moving on here to number 57, uh, Rocky from 1976, directed by John G. Avildsen, uh, written by Sylvester Stallone, stars um, Sylvester Stallone, Talia Shire, and Burt Young. Which, and Burgess. And Burgess. Uh, we'll get to him later. Um, uh, nominated for 10 Oscars, uh, one three for Best Picture, Film Editing, and Best Director. It's also nominated for Best Actor for Sylvester Stallone, Best Actress for Talia Shire, Supporting Actor for Burt Young, Supporting Actor for Burgess Meredith, um, Original Screenplay, Sound, and Original Song for Gonna Fly Now. Uh, shout out Bill Conti. Um, Sylvester Stallone became the third actor to be nominated for Original Screenplay and Best Actor in the same year, joining Charlie Chaplin for The Great Dictator in 1940 and Orson Welles for Citizen Kane in 1941. So what you're telling me is he's a legend... He continued the rise of success throughout the 80s and 90s, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone is the greatest actor of all time. Exactly. That's what you're trying to tell me. Absolutely. Oh, man. That, what a different world he would live in if that was the case. My God. <laughs> he owns this movie, though. Yeah, he does. I mean, this. let's move on to like the best picture category that year. Sure. Because I think kind of it's so interesting how stark and different this film is compared to the other nominees. Yeah. Other films that were nominated that year were Taxi Driver... All the President's Men, Bound for Glory, Network. Mm. All were just like super dark and all kind of like this super realistic. This one's about an underdog who comes out of nowhere and knocks down the title champion. Sure. But the thing is, though, he he doesn't win. He doesn't win. Which, which is a is bold per- move. Which is perfect. Yeah. But at the same time, this like heroic, like you feel good about the ending. The first half of this movie is bad. I think I, 
I do not like the first half of this oh, movie. Oh, wow. Okay. Hard disagree. But the the him rising to the challenge of facing the heavyweight champ. Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed is amazing. Shout out Carl Weathers, honestly. Yeah, Carl, this is Carl Weathers' first film. Wow, he's great. Yeah, I mean, this film is important for multiple reasons because it launched Sylvester Stallone's career. It revolutionized the Steadicam because it's the only reason they were able to film in Philadelphia. They had no money. They had, they had no permits. So the way that they were able to keep themselves without getting caught from the police is they would have a guy run with the Steadicam ahead of Sylvester Stallone everywhere he went. So if there wasn't the Steadicam, this film would not be made. Sure. But, like, Burgess Meredith is hilarious and great in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's If you don't know who he is, he's the Penguin in the 1966 Batman TV show. Oh, okay. I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, my like, like, he puts them side by side. He does, like, a little, like, Penguin thing. He's a, you know, very old school actor. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I'm surprised he didn't win Best Supporting for this movie. Okay. Burt, Burt Young was really good in this movie. Yeah. Polly. <clears throat> this movie this movie just comes out of a time where the country just was not in a good place. Yeah. We were coming off of Watergate, a bunch of scandals had come out. We just pulled out of Vietnam. It just it was not a good place. And this film really kind of brought everybody out uh everybody out of this kind of funk. Sure. Um that year, um supporting actor uh Jason Robards won for all the president's men. Burgess Meredith and Burt Young for Rocky, Lawrence Olivier for Marathon Man, and Ned Beatty for Network. That's a really good class. That's a great. That's a great cast. Yeah. I um, I don't think they would beat Jason Robards though. Yeah, I when I saw that he won, I was like, really? He's a good. He's really good in Other Presidents Man. Sure. But like, Burgess Meredith steals the screen. Burt Young steals the screen, and Ned Beatty like they all these guys really kind of steal. Your mm-hmm. attention, and I—I I mean, I don't like Lawrence Olivier that much. <laughs> I think he's kind of hamming it up in Marathon Man, personally, as yeah. like the as like the villain. Oh, so he was the guy in, when they did Othello, and for he was the guy who's like, I will play Othello, and I'll do, okay. I, and I will don blackface for playing Othello. Oh, oh that my. yeah, that was that's why I don't I really don't like Lawrence Olivier. Because yeah. he played Othello, and they couldn't have gotten someone else, but he's like, no, I'll just do it in blackface. Because I am a true actor. Yeah, actor. Yeah, like, he, like, Dustin Hoffman, Marathon Man, very famous scene. Marathon Man's on this list, so we can kind of talk about it. Sure. But Dustin Hoffman, like, he's supposed to play a guy who hadn't slept in, like, three days. Mm-hmm. So he comes in. He hasn't slept in three days and does it. And, like, Lawrence Living is like, but he can't really act that well. Yeah. <laughs> so the director's like, we're just going to scrap today. And Lawrence Living's like, it's just called acting. Says something like that to Dustin Hoffman, oh, and, and so Dustin Hoffman's method, he's a very old school actor. Mm. Yeah, I mean, but, Marathon Man, uh, shout out to Roy Scheider as well in that yeah. film. We'll get to him in a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yes, of course. Back to Rocky, um, one of the best underdog stories of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I have ran up those steps in Philadelphia. Oh, same. Uh, very steep. Very steep um, and, a lots lot, of stairs. and a lot. Lots of stairs. Uh, he makes that look very easy. Um, also, I would not recommend running in Converse. Um, I'm kind yeah. of surprised that he does that. Well, <laughs> well, also it's because to show how cheap he, to show how poor he was, because sure. because he couldn't con- afford leather, nice running shoes. Mm-hmm. He can only afford the little flannel shoe. Yeah, I love this film. I love Rocky. Um, and Gonna Fly Now is probably, uh, I mean, it's one of the best. 
it's the most iconic like you, like there's a lot of iconic themes there on this list. But you play Rocky and it's like you're like, oh, I'm getting charged up. Let's yes. go. Like let's let, we're gonna fight. We're gonna do something. The reason, which I know you disagree with earlier, the reason I don't like the first half of this movie. Mm. You think it's slow? It's not that it's slow. I Polly Polly's a horrible human being. Yeah. Uh, Talia Shire just doesn't not want to be with Rocky, and Rocky kind of forces this relationship to happen. Mm. Although at the same time he is hesitant, he does. There are multiple times where he's kind of like, "Oh, I like your sister," but also when she when he goes over to their house, he's kind of like, "Well, if she's not about this, then I don't need to be." He here. does. I mean, he does do that. I'm just saying, it's just like, it's just I don't like that aspect where they're. Mm. they're I mean, they're both kind of outcasts. Like he's sure. a failing boxer, she's a shy pet shop uh, worker. They don't really mix. The relationship really blossoms in that second half. Sure. And you can really tell that they love each other in that second half. I just don't like they just enforce it for the mob, which <laughs> goes nowhere in this movie. Yeah. Okay. I mean. And Polly's just a jerk because he's an alcoholic vet from the from Korea. Yeah. Which they don't even say that, but there's a bunch of pushes of him in like a naval uniform. Uh-huh. Like, it just, I think it just rubbed me the wrong way the first time I saw it. Okay. And it still rubs me the wrong way. But then seeing kind of like a pseudo remake in Creed, mm. where like the first half's handled so well that you'd earn vest in this character from the beginning. Okay, got you. Yeah, I I mean I also think that with Creed it helps to have Rock as a mentor figure. Yeah. Um, and kind of that father figure that he doesn't have anymore. Um, the the mob part kind of works for me because it really kind of brings into this guy kind of down on his luck and he's just trying to make ends meet. I me, mean, it grounds him. It, sure. It grounds him. And it's just like that plot goes. Nowhere. Well, I guess the guy he's working for um, does kind of help fi- help finance his training. Yeah, but I'm just like he doesn't. There's like a, there's not like a hard decision with that later. I feel like there could have been like more of a dramatic scene with that. But okay, gotcha. I mean, yeah, no, I I understand that. I will say again. I know we mentioned earlier, but I just think that the choice to have him not win and just go the distance was really really well executed. I think. Yeah, I mean it. It's a split decision. It's not like he knocked him out. Sure. I mean, Apollo was supposed to win, but again, just at the end of the day, he was telling um, Adrian and, and Paulie that he just wants to go the distance with the champ. He's kind of this. He, he goes 15 rounds. Yeah. Like, 15 rounds, now we're at 10. Like, that's yeah. the, the normal standard. Heavyweight bout. He lands some good punches, too. He knocks him to the ground. Yeah. Like, it's like, and I love boxing movies for this reason. It feels like you're there. Like, this movie is so cheap, they shot in a really crappy gymnasium. Yeah. Like, it's really well done. I mean, it's just, it's a fun movie. I don't know how I feel about 57, but it's still really good. Sure. I I don't think I mind 57, um, just because I think that, uh, I mean, what depending on how you feel about the franchise, it did spawn a very successful franchise. Um, it's an iconic movie, has iconic theme. Rocky is just an iconic character. Kind of brought Sylvester Stallone to the forefront. And it's kind of funny that he got nominated for this role to kind of begin his career mm-hmm. and then got nominated towards... We're now in, like, the twilight of his career now where he's making sequels to everything. Sure. And, like, the last sequel of a bunch of these movies. Yeah. Where he, he got nominated for Best Supporting for Creed. He did not. Not for the Oscars. Yeah, he did. He did? Mm-hmm. For the Oscars? I thought I remember there was a thing where he didn't. He did. He got nominated. Okay. He, Mark Rylance won that year. Yeah. Mark Ruffalo was also up, which that Mark Ruffalo deserved it more. But, <laughs> yeah, he was nominated for yeah. best. That was... I remember I remember he got the Golden Globe nod, but, um, yeah, I can't remember. I thought he got... 
Oh, he did. Did he get nominated? Uh, he did. Okay, yeah. He can. Okay, so I. So the the reason. So he won the Golden Globe. The reason I thought um he didn't get nominated was because I remember a lot of people made a big fit about him not winning. Yeah. Because it was like, oh, give one to Rocky or whatever. Um. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember everybody was like, because people were cheering for Sylvester Stallone. People, yeah. I remember people booing Mark, Mark Rylance at yeah. the Oscars because people. He was good in Bridge of Spies. He's good, but Mark Ruffalo and Stallone give like performances of their careers. Yeah, that's true. Rylance, good actor, very good actor. Mm-hmm. Was but, that was Ruffalo for Spotlight? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, that was Spotlight. That's one like one of my Ruffalo's fav- best roles. I, I mean, he's good. I don't. I will say I don't think that film holds up. But anyway. Um, no, also... Uh, Excuse me? I know. <laughs> Excuse I, yeah, me? That, that might be a separate... Um, That's one of my favorite like films of all time. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, I, I think it's powerful, and I think that it has a great story to tell. I also just don't... I don't think it's quite executed the best. But I um, will say the one thing about Spot... The, the reason I keep going back to it, because those holy crap moments, when you're... Like, the realization moments hit me every time I watch it. Mm. I think that's why I like it so much. I also think that Ruffalo, uh, he, he he's he's dialed up a bit. He, they knew, but that but that was like personal for him. I sure. feel like, like I, that I, scene. That's like that scene is the only time. There's like no yelling out in this movie besides that one scene, yeah. and it's like and he's just frustrated because he's been working on this case for so he's working on this for so long, mm. and he's like the guy who's been going to the courtrooms. He's heard all the details. He's the one who's bred every single page of what those what was sealed by the which the documents that were sealed. Mm. He knows every detail. And in that moment, he's like, why are we not publishing this thing now? Sure. Uh, I mean, I I think Spotlight's fine. I loved it when it first came out, but I revisited it last year, and I wasn't as big of a fan. But anyway. But, yeah, Stallone, I just, I feel like it was Ruffalo Rylance. I feel like it was Ruffalo Stallone, I felt like, that year. It's just really sad that, like, Sly is never going to get an Academy Award. Yeah. I mean, he might get, like, a Lifetime Achievement, maybe. For, but, I mean, outside of Rocky, what other films will they put him up for? Uh, just, like, well, I think just portraying Rocky, um, I mean, I think being just an iconic action star for three, four decades, I think, has to count for something. Like <laughs> I mean, like, he he's important, but at the same time, is Kirk Douglas gonna get one? Like, is gonna get one of those? Kirk Douglas got one because he played. He yeah. was forever. Sure. But like, he's not. Kirk Douglas was continually not Oscar nominated. He's yeah. been nominated twice. He's been nominated once. Well, as I an don't. Actor. I don't know. I don't know if that necessarily needs to be a prerequisite, though. But I'm just thinking, like, the Academy votes on people that that the Academy's voted on before. Sure. And well. Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. I think that Sly's contributions to pop culture stands for something. Yeah, like, I love Sly in First Blood because he's so good in First Blood. Yeah. He's so good I mean, in Rambo, First Blood. Rambo's another iconic character. But I don't like everything outside of First Blood. Yeah, well, I guess that's also not entirely his fault. But um, He wrote, like, the two sequels. <laughs> well, yeah, aren't there, like, five, though? He wrote the first two sequels. Okay, gotcha. And they're coming out with another one. Which is going to be the final, quote-unquote, one. Isn't, so like, isn't it like Last Blood or something? Or Final I don't, Blood? Or, 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 uh, whatever it is. I remember it had Old Town Road in the trailer. Yeah. Is the Anyway, the trailer came out a couple... It's coming out later. Ago. I think it's coming out this year or next year. It's yeah. Just, you look, I watched it and it's like, 
Okay. Another... I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, <laughs> Rocky, just to wrap this up, uh, inducted into the National Film Registry in 2006. Uh, it seems like that's a long time for such an iconic film. Yeah, about 30 years, if I remember right. Yeah, 30 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. I think it could have been a little sooner, but I don't know. I love Rocky. Uh, all right, moving on. Number 56, Jaws from 1975, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Peter Benchley and Carl Gottlieb. It stars Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss, and Murray Hamilton. Uh, it was nominated for four Oscars. Uh, it won three for Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Original Score for John Williams. Um, nominated for Best Picture. I think it's his first Oscar, too. I believe so. It was really the... It kind of coined the term blockbuster. But people were lined up around the block. Because mm-hmm. they, they only had like two screen cinemas back then. Sure. Yeah, back in 1975, it really just kind of blew up the summer movie. I mean, the reason that we have so many screens and theaters now is because of movies like this and Star Wars, where it's like uh, Grumman's Chinese Theater in L.A. was two screens when it first opened. Mm. By the time now, it's like, I think, 18 screens. Yeah. I mean, the average theater now is six or seven screens. So this film used to run on loop. It was looped on a film track from theater to theater. That's That's how big this movie was. It kind of plays like a horror film. But it's also kind of like an adventure film at the same time. It's, I, I would say it's more of just like an adventure film mm. with horror elements. Yeah. It made people afraid to go swim in the ocean after this for a while. Because I never, like, I watched this at home and I remember laughing at the effects because I thought they were cheesy. Mm. And then seeing it, then there was a special screening and I watched it in the theater. That scared me because people react to it. Sure. You're not expecting a giant shark to jump out of the water. Yeah. Uh, and then, obviously, well, there's that famous story where they couldn't get the shark to work. And so that was part of why they held it till the very end. And it works masterfully that you don't mm-hmm. see the shark for the majority of this film. Sure. Because you just like, what does it look like? How big of a shark are we talking? Because they say 25 feet. You picture that in your head for most of the movie. And then when it appears, you're like, oh, crap, that's how big 25 feet is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it really, uh, and again, holding the monster to the end has been has been ripped off multiple times. <laughs> Hasn't been executed the best in other films, but it really works. Um, having Bruce, as they named him, um, kind of come in at the end there. And it, and just, I think it's really a testament to Spielberg and just building that suspense of the unknown. Yeah, and this film this film was plagued. Like, this, the shark didn't work. So Spielberg had to ride around this thing. Originally supposed to be a three-month production, turned to, like, a year. Mm-hmm. Like, it, they were shooting in cold water all the time. Nothing really worked the way that they wanted it to. And Spielberg just was like, I know how to fix this. I know how to fix it. I know how to fix it. Like, that was kind of his shtick. And he was just, Spielberg at this time was seen kind of as like a universal brat. He just was on the universal lot, not doing really anything. He was sure. doing TV. He did um, Sugarland Express, Sugar right Express which was just kind of to show off that I can make a film. It's a good little film with it, Goldie Hawn, yeah. He was, it's good, but like, it's just like he's showing off trademarks of his from TV at this time. Sure. And then he does Duel, which is really gritty. It's totally different. And this movie just just rocketed him to superstardom. Like, Spielberg becomes the household name he is today because of this movie. Also, Jaws, I gotta say, probably one of the most rewatchable films of all time. It's, it holds up. Like, yeah. it, like, even though the shark looks cheap, you really don't care. You like, like the acting. It, wor- it works, though. Yeah, the acting is incredible in this movie. Roy Scheider, uh, Robert Shaw. And Richard Dreyfuss were kind of 
knew where, I mean, Robert Shaw wasn't, but Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfuss were kind of new actors mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, Roy Scheider kind of been, have been in French Connection, but this is his first real leading film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss was in a bunch of other small projects. This was his really first big supporting role. Mm-hmm. Robert Shaw, who was a all-time leading man at this point, Decides to become a drunk captain, which I guess he was drunk on set the entire yep, time. I heard that too. Richard Dreyfuss and him actually got in like fist fights. The scene, like all these scenes are incredible. The Indianapolis scene. Where... I was going to say, I was waiting for you going to get to that. Yeah, That's, that is one of the best, probably one of the best films, of, one of the best scenes of the 70s. It's like the best monologue I think ever written. Like, yeah. Because you get drawn in and you're visualizing the shark the entire time, not to visualize a sinking ship. Is carrying the bombs that bomb, Hiro- bomb Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and they, these guys cannot call out for SOS because it's a secret mission. So they are left to their own devices, and sharks just are taking people. I think it works so well the fact that that was Robert Shaw's monologue, and just the fact that he is kind of this drunk, surly dude, but then he has just the, these horrors. And that, and you then you realize why he is the way he is, why he hates sharks so much. Yeah. I mean, and, he's and really it, just trying to drink then, away the pain, honestly. And then why he died, when he dies, when he dies, it's sad. Yeah. You feel bad for him. Oh, he's, for he's, sure. he's a villain. He's kind of a villain. But at the same time, you feel bad because that's like the worst possible outcome for him. I can imagine the thing that you're scared of that causes you to kill these guys, this thing just eats you. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just that kind of when, when the shark does eventually uh, make its way onto the screen finally um, and kind of that – that great shot of Roy Schotter just popping up, popping his head up, kind of surprised. We're going to need a bigger boat. We're going to need a bigger boat. Like, this script is mainly ad-libbed. That's one of the best things about this film, where it's like, it's natural reactions. It's them doing weird stuff that they wouldn't normally do. Like, Richard Dreyfuss, when he gets really mad at um, Robert Shaw's character, get Quint, he's like, that's his natural reaction. He's drunk, he's tired, he's tired of this shit, and he just goes... He's like acting like a little kid. Like he does, like he like sucks his tongue at him and flips him off. Mm-hmm. He, that was just his natural reaction. <laughs> he was pissed. Also, just those three play off each other so well. Yeah, Roy Schneider and Richard Dreyfus just seem like they've been friends forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both seem uneasy about Quint, but they seem but they bounce off of him so well mm. that you feel like these guys need to need each other to stay alive. Yeah. And, I mean, that's really what it comes down to, honestly. It turns into a survival story at the end. Uh-huh. Two points I want to touch on. Murray Hamilton, uh, worst mayor ever? Yeah, he is. I mean, I mean he's told repeatedly the, sh- the waters are not safe and there's a killer shark out there, and he I'm, keeps the I'm beach gonna, open. I'm going to say this, this one time. Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's so, it's like watching, the, I watched that recently and just been like, oh, this is strangely familiar. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, did, I hadn't thought about it that way, yeah. but yeah, no, you're right. I, I guess it really just came back to bite him. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> I, I, thank you, thank you. Um, also, incredible opening. Yeah, one of the most iconic openings of all time. We can yeah. make an entire podcast based on Jaws. Sure. Because it's so, it's so important. Of, it's such an important film. I mean, we could even say this This could go higher on the list for, import, I, for how important it is. Honestly, I would put this in the top 20. I would, and I wouldn't disagree with yeah. you. Yeah, like if there's two Spielbergs in the top twenty, I'd be happy. Yeah, sure. I mean, this Jaws just—it means so much to pop culture. It really puts Spielberg into the forefront. It's an incredible film. Yeah, it's, you watch it and go like, this movie is well made. You can't yeah. deny this movie is really well made and constructed well. And 
like it's such a plague production, but it works. Sure. And 44 years later, it still holds up. And even though it spawned a few sequels like Jaws 3D. Um, Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> do, do sharks remember pain? <laughs> oh, my gosh. We don't have to talk about that. Uh, it was inducted to the National Film Registry in 2001. Uh, all-timer. All-timer. Uh, moving on to number 55, North by Northwest from 1959, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Written by Ernest Lemon, stars Cary Grant, Eva Marie Saint, James Mason, and the screen debut of Martin Landau. Um, God dang. Nominated for three Oscars, uh, original screenplay, art direction, film editing, um, inducted to the National Film Registry in 1995. This film is uh, is quite good. Uh, great use of Mount Rushmore. Cary Grant uh, is incredible in this in this lead role of kind of this uh, tale of espionage, and he's kind of mistaken for a for another spy, um, and uh, just really entertaining film. Yeah, it's one of the first like big action films yeah. I think I can think of because that wasn't a western because western films were action were kind of action at this point. It's a chase. It's an amazingly constructed film. You're on the edge of your seat this entire movie. Like even if you've seen it a couple times, you're like. Oh, I forgot this part. Yeah. This part happens next. Awesome! Like, it is Hitchcock just doing whatever the hell he wanted, and it's so well done. Oh, my gosh. And, the, I mean, even the fact that you realize that, like, you're told explicitly that George Kaplan's not real, yeah. like, it doesn't lose any steam, even after that. Yeah. God, it's so good. It, I mean, it really is. I mean, even it's still being, like, a paid homage to as recent, like, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yeah. When Rey is chased by that ship, that's literally almost the same exact shot. I mean, it's like the iconic shot of the plane chasing him has been, it's on the poster. It's like, it's, I've seen Family Guy rip this off a couple times. Like, yeah. it's iconic for a reason about Rushmore. Sure. Scenes important. Like, it is Hitchcock kind of at the penultimate of his career. Like, he's, it's mid-50s, uh, it's, it's him in the mid-50s, whatever the hell he wanted. He wanted Cary Grant for this role. And the studio is like, sure, get Cary Grant for this role. And it was a role that he didn't want to do. Like, Cary Grant did not want to be in this movie. But he was amazing in it. He's a, Cary Grant is a legend for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and we, we kind of talked about him a little earlier in uh, Bringing Up Baby, but North by Northwest is uh, is Cary Grant at the height of his powers, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, I think it's kind of shocking that he doesn't get nominated for Best Actor. Yeah. Because he's he so good in this movie. And, he really should have. And like you said, uh, Ben Hur won Best Picture this year. Because mm-hmm. this is... It was Ben Hur won um, Anatomy of a Murder with Jimmy Stewart, Room at the Top, The Diary of Anne Frank, and The Nun's Story. Outside of Ben Hur and Anatomy of a Murder, kind of shocked they didn't get nominated for Best yeah, Picture. Yeah, like also the Academy did not like Hitchcock that much. Yeah, well that's true. Because he that's was true. he was just blatantly himself. Sure. Um, but Cary Grant, my God, he's so good in this movie. <laughs> yeah, Kubrick and Hitchcock were two guys that the Academy just really did not. Well, they were so stubborn and. I mean, there's horror stories on set of what they would do to people. And I think the Academy's like, this is bad publicity if we put them and nominate them for stuff. Even though they're two of the most important and greatest art auteurs of all time. Yeah, they're iconic. <laughs> yeah. For a reason. Absolutely. And, they, yeah, again, they're just wholly original. North by Northwest, again, from 1959, um, but still, still holds up today. 60 years later. Yeah. We're talking about this movie 60 years later, and yeah. it's still it's important. still super entertaining. Yeah, um, but I think it just, you could say this could be top 20 just for vaulting action, for action films. I would move this way higher. Because yeah. if we're talking about, like, we're talking about action films, there's not a lot of them on this list. 
this is like an action film before action films were a thing. I think I read the National Board of Review put this in their top ten. Yeah, like yeah. It, it just, you're always on the edge of your seat. There's suspense everywhere. This guy's doing, I mean, they do stunts in this film. And Cary Grant does his own stunts sometimes. And he's like in his, I think his 50s by the time he's yeah. doing this. Um, yeah, incredible film. Uh, great, great Hitchcock. Uh, moving on here. 54, uh, MASH from 1970, again, directed by Robert Altman, written by Ring Lardner Jr., based on the uh, Richard, Ho- Richard Hooker novel. Um, stars Donald Sutherland, Elliot Gould, Tom Skerritt, and Robert Duvall. Nominated for five Oscars, uh, one for Adapted Screenplay. is also nominated for Best Picture. Supporting actress for Sally Kellerman, director and film editing. Uh, Best Picture that year was Patton, Patton won. Um, Airport, which I always get confused with Airplane. Not yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Not like... the same film. Um, five Easy Pieces, MASH, and Love Story. Uh, won the Palme d'Or at, Can- at Cannes that year. Um, inducted the National Film Registry in 1996. If there is an Altman contribution to this list, I think MASH fits the bill. Yeah, I think MASH is a very good film. Great black comedy. Yeah, it's very important for one reason, I think. and another, I mean, it's important for many reasons, but for one reason alone, it's the only Korean War representation. Mm. And it's a war that's forgotten about. My grandfather fought in the Korean War. And it's... and. It was kind of an allegory for Vietnam, but at the same time, it really—it's a really well-made film. Launched Donald, Donald Sutherland to a leading man, as a leading man, Robert Duvall kind of becomes big because of this, and Tom Skerritt. Mm-hmm. All these guys are become big in the '70s because of this movie. I think it deserves to be on the list, but I don't know how high. It's above. It's above two films we think should be in the top twenty. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. I I would move. I would knock it down a little bit. I will say though. I again, I think that we're kind of talking about how Nashville kind of falters a bit, and how it's kind of high concept but doesn't quite get there. I think Mash definitely does get there. Yeah, and it spawned one of the most successful TV shows of all time. Yeah, successful, iconic. Like I didn't I know mean, this was a movie because the TV show was so important. Yeah, and Alan Alda especially. Yeah. Um, in that respect, um, yeah, Mash. Um, I, I think it's really just well done because. I think that they could have made uh, just a straight Korean War film, but also it's really just well done in the fact that it's kind of playing off these guys' kind of escapism in yeah, a way. Like just these, these guys are joking around and doing stuff because they don't they don't want to face reality. Yeah, they're they're operating. They're all like this yeah. medical team operating on these people losing limbs, and they show amputations at some point. Yeah, Mesh stands for Medical Aid. I think. Sur- surgery Hospital. I believe that's... I, I might be wrong. I'll look it up. Look up the acronym. Yeah. Mobile Army Surgical okay, Hospital. Okay, that was wrong. So Mo- Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. These guys are dealing with just horrible wounds from this war that they shouldn't be in, really. Mm-hmm. Why are we in Korea? Yeah. And it just... it was. It's a really well-made film. Launched a lot of uh, actors to hire... Tire places, gave Robert Altman the freedom to do Nashville, yeah, and do whatever he wanted really. But I think this deserves, deserves to be on the list, but it's really high. It is really high. Um, it also is Robert Altman again, just not being afraid to poke fun at anything. I mean, they they talk about religion, politics, just the concept of death. Like there, there's a lot of heavy stuff that I they mean do. they do it because that's what they would do. It's based yeah. off this book that's really dialogue driven as well. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so important. I think that's sure. why this movie's important. 
I think I, I think I remember reading that Roger Ebert said this film is so funny because it talks about things that just inherently are not funny. Yeah. And I think that's probably the best way to sum it up. Moving on here, number fifty-three, uh, the Deer Hunter from nineteen seventy-eight, uh, directed by Michael Cimino. Yeah, Cimino. Yeah. Um, written by Michael Cimino and Derek Washburn, um, stars Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, John Cazale, Meryl Streep. Um, nominated for nine Oscars, won five for Best Picture, uh, Supporting Actor for Walken, uh, Director, Sound, and Editing. Is also nominated for Best Actor for De Niro, Supporting Actress for Meryl Streep. Her first nomination ever. She won the next year for Kramer vs. Kramer. Um, original Screenplay and Best Cinematography. It was inducted in the National Film Registry in 1996. Um, another Vietnam film. Um, kind of separated into like I think the three acts are pretty distinct yeah um kind of just the lead up to the war with the wedding the second act is kind of just them in the war and then the third act is Robert De Niro's character kind of just figuring out what the heck's going on and then trying to go back to save Christopher Walken um a lot of Russian roulette which is inaccurate (laughs) like (laughs) like it is one of the most it was I think it was described by the VA or the Veteran Association or Veterans, couple of veteran associations as one of the most inaccurate films of war ever. Mm. Russian roulette was not used as a torture device. The original script of this was about Russian roulette. It was a, a film set in Las Vegas about Russian roulette, and Rob, and Michael Cimino took hold of it and turned it into a war story because okay. he was one of the guys who didn't go to war mm. and decided to make a movie about war. Okay, gotcha. It's just so inaccurate, like. Sure. I cannot enjoy this film because of the inaccuracies. Oh, okay. But at the same time, the beginning and end parts, the those kind of parts are super good. Mm. The war part, the I mean, the, the Russian roulette scene is iconic. Walken wins his Oscar there. And it's so funny that Christopher Walken's scene kind of is a joke now. Yeah. And he's he is incredible in this movie. Yeah, it, it, uh, Christopher Walken has kind of turned into a meme in yeah. recent years. I know the cowbell ske- sketch on Saturday Night Live played a factor. I mean, everybody can imitate him. He's iconic for a reason, but also at the same time, I didn't realize how attractive he was So I saw this movie. It's weird not seeing him old. I'm going to yeah. be honest with you. It yeah, was well, a little seeing, jarring. Seeing him young, you're like, damn, you look good. Why? Yeah, like he, like, yeah, he was a good look. He was a handsome guy. Um, this film kind of launched... Uh, De Niro as a leading man. He is electric in this film. I mean, I should say, well, Taxi Driver was that, but, like, this is kind of, like, that wasn't a fluke. This is building on top of sure. it. Sure. And then, and then he kind of took over a couple years later Raging Bull and controlled the mm-hmm. 80s and all that. Meryl Streep um, kind of, I don't know if this was necessarily her coming out party, but it was definitely one of the first roles where kind of like, whoa, this is... She can act. She can act, yeah. Yeah, because... I guess the director didn't like her that much because, I mean, she she's a very commanding presence. Meryl Streep, sure. period, is a commanding presence. So he's like, he didn't give her any notes. She was just basically told to react to stuff. Yeah. And she does that well, and she's amazing. Shout out to John Cazale. I was going to say, we need to died, talk about John he Cazale. He died like five months after this Yeah, release. he died in, um, uh, it, it was released in, like, I believe... Uh, mid to late seventy eight, he died in March of seventy eight. And Meryl Streep is, they're married. Or they, or they were they were dating. I looked it up. But also, uh, John Cazale was dying, and they actually were going to drop him from the film. And De Niro and Streep and Walken all all um, threatened to walk if they yeah. dropped John Cazale. 
Um, and I'm glad I'm glad they didn't because uh, can, John Cazale is one of the greatest um, character actors of all time, and he was just acting for such a short period, and he was in five pictures that were nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, like I think he should have won for Dog Day Afternoon, which will this is I think it's later on this list. No, it's not on the list. Dog Day Afternoon's Dog on. Dog Day Afternoon's not on the list. What the hell is wrong with this list? Yeah, I've been waiting on talking about that movie. No, it's not but on the list. He is so good in Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. Like he, uh, he's I mean he's really good in Godfather Part Two as well. Yeah, John Cazale, Conversation as well is another great one, which he, is not on the list, but I think it maybe should be. But he's just one of the best character actors of all time. He's I mean, he's just forgotten, but you see him and you're like, oh, that guy. Yeah. I feel so bad that um, he was dying during this. I mean, also, he thought he got past it halfway through production. I think that was what someone said that mm. he thought he got through it, and then it just got worse and deteriorated, and yeah. it's yeah. such a shame. It really is. He was he was one of the best we had at the time, and it's, Man, yeah, it's really... He would, he, if he had kept acting, I think he would be a legend. I, I think he definitely... He, he also eventually would have gotten that Oscar... Um, also, I think that there's just something about three-hour movies with Robert De Niro that I'm drawn to. Uh, Godfather 2, Heat, Deer Hunter. I don't know. That's just a dumb thing for me. And of course um, you get your one per list for Heat. Yes, of course. <laughs> gotta, gotta include Heat in every single podcast. Um, moving on here to more Robert De Niro. Uh, R52 Taxi Driver from 1976, directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Paul Schrader. Stars Robert De Niro, Jodie Foster, Sybil Shepard, Albert Brooks, Harvey Keitel, and Peter Boyle. Um, nominated for four Oscars. Uh, did not win any. Um, but nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Robert De Niro. Supporting actress for a young Jodie Foster. She was like 13 or 14? Yeah, I think so. Um, score, original score. Um, it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes that year. Inducted the National Film Registry in 1994. Kind of, we were talking about Vietnam a little earlier. Um Travis Bickle's a Vietnam vet in this film, mm-hmm. and it really takes a toll on him mentally and kind of just how he... He's is trying just, to adjust to normalcy. And he's disgusted by the filth around him in New York City in the 70s. Which, um, which was a gripe for Scorsese. Sure. This is a, which is why he directed this film. Mm-hmm. He's in, he was in great New York Great cameo by him, by the way. In the, that, that's, an, fame, that's a great scene. Oh, yeah. See, that's my wife up there, but that's not my apartment. Yeah. I'm going to blow her brains out. What would, you, what would you say if I did that? Da, 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 da. Like, Scorsese, Scorsese is important to film history in a way that I think people forget. That, I hope like, they don't. But, like, he brought the gritty realism of the streets to, to film. Like, mm-hmm. a film like Raging Bull would not have been made if it was directed by another director. Because he just would have shown the director's, the, the boxer's highlights and everything else, everything that he did well. Instead of showing that he was, in a, he was a wife abuser and all these things. Showing the sign of a Vietnam vet trying to return to normalcy. Where a time where if he saw filth, he would kill it. Yeah. And now he, he's in a place where he's driving a taxi because he can't sleep. He hates the world around him. Uh, people, he can't really talk to people. He's an awkward dude. Mm-hmm. Um, tries to get with Sybil Shepherd, but then on their first date, he takes her to a porno. Because he doesn't know how to interact with people. Yeah. He doesn't interact with people who aren't killers. Yeah. And it's just, it's so well made. It's an iconic film for a reason. I mean, you talking to me. Yeah. Like, that entire scene was ad-libbed because De Niro thought it would be funny. to do. It was a funny thing he did <laughs> upset. And it turned out to be one of the most iconic lines in film history. And it's one of the most, like, it's scary to watch. Like, it, like yeah. honestly, you watch it and go, Shit, this guy's insane. 
Well, especially I think one of the scariest moments for me is when he does he finally shaves his head into the mohawk and he shows up to that rally. He's trying to kill and the, he's trying to kill the um, the presidential candidate. Yeah. And he ends up not, but it's just it's like wow, like that could happen today even still. Mm-hmm. And just it, it's really kind of just this is one of the best descents into madness movies. Yeah. Um as well and kind of just also they, yeah, he's just getting trotted on the entire movie like Civil Shepherd like he sees her on the street, walks all over him, does mm-hmm. all these things. The only reason she accepts a date is because she thinks that it's going to be the one of the worst dates she's ever been on, and she just wants to see what this is like. And also just to piss off Albert Brooks. Yeah. And it works to her detriment, not to his, because he's like, why the hell does no one want me? Because yeah. he's a Vietnam vet, he's returning home, and no one wants him. Yeah. That's that's a really tough, um, tough scene. Yeah, it also is interesting how they kind of turn Travis Bickle into an anti-hero as well. Yeah, as he, he kind of is saving uh, Jodie Foster. Yeah, you want you want him to succeed, but the way he succeeds, you're like, holy shit, I don't want it that way. Yeah. Like, you're like, I want you to get this person out of here. But this also goes to the point, he doesn't know how to do things. Exactly. That's yeah. why this film works so well. Because yeah. you're like, I want you to save Jodie Foster. I really want that because this whole thing with Civil Shepherd didn't work. Yeah. I want, now you're focused on this person. Like, you are trying to get this person out of being a drug abuser, being... Prostitute. Being a prostitute. Being, I mean, being... Like, he's being careful, cared for by her pimp. Mm. Harvey Keitel's or, character, yeah. Harvey Keitel's so good in this movie. He is. Um, Very brief brief showing, but he really makes the most of his screen time. Yeah, he becomes a, he becomes a really well-known actor because of this yeah, movie. Yeah. And yeah. Mean Street's a little fused before. Yeah, Mean yeah. I mean, Street. No, it's a Scorsese film. Mm-hmm. But he really... So all these scenes that lead up to it, it just shows the griminess of New York in the 70s. It doesn't really try to hide anything. The score is unbelievable in this movie. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's jazzy, and it's like it's like a bunch of thing, waves crashing on you, and then just a single saxophone will carry you over the top. It's gorgeous. It's It really screams 1970s New York. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't try to hide that it's 1970s New York. Mm-hmm. Then the entire last shootout scene, unexpected, yeah. You don't expect that to happen. Oh, yeah. Because he goes in there like, maybe he'll kill two or three people. He, like, obliterates an entire apartment complex. Oh, yeah, and then he gets shot himself, too. And he's trying to, he's like, kill me. Yeah. At the end, he's like, has the gun to his head, which is one of those iconic shots. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but then he ends up, he ends up living to tell the tale. Um, ends up driving off kind of into the sunset. <laughs> and Civil Shepherd is in his cab at the end. Yeah. And he's, and the thing is, he's a hero. Mm-hmm. Because he killed all these people. Yeah. Shows how like and save Jodie Foster in the end, yeah. Yeah. It's I would also move this film way higher. Yeah, I think I think Goodfellas is Scorsese's best directing cuz he was able to, he was really polished mm. with directing. This is Scorsese when he's like, "I have no money. You don't know who I am. I'm just going to show you this film hands like you can tell that he's really like he controlled the camera sometimes in this. You can tell how how much he really worked to make this film what it is." Sure. I would say Goodfellas and Taxi Driver are probably my two favorite Scorsese films. I need to see Raging Bull again. Me too. But I think those two are iconic. I like The Departed, but it's also Departed's just... Departed's really cool. It's also just because like Jack Nicholson in that movie. I also feel like Departed's kind of disrespected a little bit. Yeah, cause, but it's not like the other films that he should have won for. Yeah. Like Raging Bull's top five in this list. Sure. For a reason. Yeah, sure. But like he's... 
Uh, the Departed is a really well-made movie. Mm-hmm. It's a cat and mouse. It's a remake. I get that. Infernal Affairs. Infernal yeah. Affairs. But at the same time, it's still really well-made. Sure. I mean, it's Leo, Matt Damon. Wahlberg's and, great and, in it. And Wahlberg, Alec Baldwin, Nicholson, and uh, Martin Jean. Mm. Yeah. Like, all those actors are in that movie, and it's really well-made. Vera Farmiga is also great. Vera Farmiga. Oh, my God. I forgot. Yeah, great, great cast in that one. Shout out Scorsese. Um, Taxi Driver's awesome. Uh, I'd move it up higher. Top 20. I think we have three films that could be in top 20. And honest, and they're all from the f- two years. <laughs> yeah. Um, 75, 76. Um, last one here we're going to talk about for this episode. Number 51, West Side Story from 1961. Directed by Jerome Robbins and Robert Wise. Written um, Ernest Lemon. Um, he's popped up a few times in this list. Um, stars Natalie Wood, George Chakaris, um, Richard Boehmer, and um, a legendary performance from Rita Moreno. Yes. Um, won 10 Oscars for uh, Best Picture, Best Actor. You didn't want to write all those down, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, best Picture, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for George Chakaris, uh, Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Rita Moreno, Best Director, Best, best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Score, and nominated again for original or um, Adapted Screenplay for Ernest Lemon. Inducted in the National Film Registry in 1997. Best Picture that year, West Side Story 1, like we said, Fanny, Judgment at Nuremberg, The Guns of Navarone, and The Hustler. They're remaking West Side Story with Steven Spielberg in 2020. Um, much to your chagrin, it looks like. I just don't know how I feel about it. Like, I, the thing I'm excited about is that they actually cast Latin people as Latin people. Yeah, that well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing I'm like. And, hey. uh, and apparently, Ansel Elgort. I think he's. I think he's. He's in a, it he's well. a main. He's the main. Yeah. Bow. Yeah. Um, At least he can sing. That that's true. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, West Side Story. Uh, one of these uh, musical epics, if you will. Yeah, and it's set um, in like three blocks. Yeah, it's uh, it's really, really well done. Um, kind of, you really just feel the tension throughout between the sharks and the jets mm-hmm. and kind of just at what cost um, kind of fight these gang violence. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm laughing because it's like you feel the tension. They just snap at each other instead of having switchblades. Like, like this film is it's very 50s for that reason. Sure. Because it's like if they made this, like the film now, I think will have a lot more of that real violence and threat. Yeah. Because it's like they're snapping instead of the, them doing their switchblades. Which sure. is what the original thing was. When they're snapping, it's supposed to be the snap of the switch plates. Mm. I, I just think, I also just think the dialogue really works well in this film. Yeah. I mean, the music's iconic for of a reason. Course. Natalie Wood's <laughs> brown face for this. And she's not very good, I don't think. Um, I, I liked her. I liked her uh, Rita Moreno is, just steals the show of this well, movie. This is her movie, honestly, in my yeah. eyes. She's the only Latin actress in this movie, I think. That has, that has a lot of speaking in it and... Yeah, I I will say it is, to your point, it is very much of its time. Yeah, like um, watching this now, you're like, man, there's a lot of white people wearing brown face. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, I kind of forgotten about that. You watch it, you go like, oh, they're speaking Spanish, but not very well. Great. Yeah, it's kind of like, if you will, kind of like a bigger version of like the Outsiders, in a way. Hmm. Outsiders so contained and. I mean, it's Romeo and Juliet set in the... Well, yeah. It's Romeo, it is Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, it's Romeo and Juliet. Right, the Outsiders right. is just totally its own type of thing. Yeah. Where it's like, it's showing the realistic violence of what the, the greaser culture was. Mm-hmm. Instead of like, you want to be like the sharks. You want to be this like... This is very glamorous. Yeah. 
Like, the choreography in this movie is unbelievable. Uh, the staging's great, too. Yeah, like, there's a reason why this is, this stands the test of time. Mm-hmm. And why I think, I think Spielberg could make West Side Story a good remake and, a, and do it justice with with actual Latina, Latina women and Latina men in this, in this film. Sure. But I am very hesitant because it is almost untouchable. Like, I don't think anybody could... This film is iconic for a reason. Sure. I think 51's... I think you could say top 50 for this. Sure. But I think 51's a good spot. Yeah. I uh, I really also... I mean, I think there are definitely some problems that we kind of touched on where it's just kind of of his time in the early 60s. But also, like you mentioned, it's, it's iconic. It's also just really entertaining. It is. Yeah. It's three hours long, but you still... Yeah. You feel like you're invested. Mm-hmm. It also, I just, it also kind of has that feel of like one of those epics. I think it has an intermission, if I remember correctly. Songs are great. Um, I, I think it, it deserves the 10 Oscars. I, I think it's one of those films where I'm not mad about it. 1961, the I mean, the other films that were nominated. Desmond Nuremberg's a really good film. But other films that are on this list, I'm like, this deserves to be. Sure. Run the table, yeah. Yeah, it deserved to. It, maybe, I don't know if best adapted, in my opinion, but I still think it's good. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, really good film. I actually saw it. Um, it came back to theaters a year or two ago mm. um, for like one of the anniversaries or whatever. I, I caught it on TCM a while ago. I remember liking it, but I remember, sure. but now like looking back on it, I'm like, wow, that's really racist. Yeah, that's true. Well, hopefully with the remake, maybe they can fix some of those things. God, I hope so. Because honestly, that's really the, my main, probably the main, one of the main criticisms with it. Because like I think mostly everything else I really enjoyed. No, I mean Natalie Wood. I don't like Natalie Wood in this movie, but she's <laughs> the person who's singing for Natalie Wood is doing a good job. This was one of her first roles, if I remember right. It's one of her first big ones. Big ones. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Rita Moreno. God, she's so good in this movie. Like, <laughs> I don't think I can say that enough. Like she she deserved the Academy Award. Like she should have been like a unanimous like. Oh, like Unino's MVP, basically. Sure, yeah. Like she, she's, she, she like sometimes the Russell Westbrook of this film. Man. Like she sometimes carries this film. You're like, yeah. oh, right. Like yeah. she's like supporting actress, but really she's just supporting the film. Honestly, like she's the only one who has like any grits, some, some fun. She's really funny. Always the smartest one in the room. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah, she just really is just dynamite in this one. I mean, she nearly was. She nearly got cast ahead of Natalie Wood for the lead, but. She, I think that's also why it works well because she's so bitter and mm-hmm. she's like, I'm just going to do my sassy thing. Sure. So uh, that'll be this 10. Outside of, I know we mentioned Nashville. Are there any other ones that you would either knock down the list or um, even take off entirely? I think Gold Rush could get knocked down. Okay. Much as it is a really good film, I think Rocky's fine where it is. Mm-hmm. But I would say um, MASH needs to get knocked down a lot. Oh, yeah? Because it's the head north by northwest and Jaws. Yeah. Deer Hunter should get knocked down maybe to like the 80s or 90s. Okay. I think it's important, but at the same time, the inaccuracies and just, I just don't think, like, it doesn't work for me in spots. Okay. Christopher Walken's amazing. I'm glad that he won the Academy Award for it, but I think it deserves to be a little lower than mm-hmm. other films on this list. Especially ones that we've talked about. As far as what I would say, um, I'd keep Duck Soup. I'd take Nashville off the list. Okay. I'd um, I probably would knock down Gold Rush a b- 
bit, not too far, but no, I, I don't I think too far. But bit. I think that he maybe it's like mid sixties or something like yeah. that. Um, Rocky, I'd keep right there. Uh, Jaws, we talked about. I'd say top, top 20. twenty. North by Northwest. Northwest top twenty. Mash, probably the same with Gold Rush. I'd probably knock it down to the sixties. Deer Hunter, I'd knock it down a bit. I think I like it more than you do. But yeah, I think I mean, that film works for me. Uh, Taxi Driver, I'd say top 20. West Side Story, I mean, it's probably fine at 51. 51 or maybe yeah. even into the 50s because of how yeah. important it is. Sure. I would say the next film on the list, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, I think it should be above that for sure. Yeah, why is it 50? Like, why is that the Lord of the Rings? Pick? I mean, we'll, we'll get into it next time, but I'm just like. I just love how they loved that movie so much. They shot it up to the top 50 immediately. <sighs> it's a good movie. But Return of the King, man. Yeah. It's the one that won all the Oscars. It's such a miss. I don't I don't know how they missed that badly. I think I just need to rewatch Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I've seen enough times know. where I feel like... I don't know I, if I need to spend 12 hours watching the trilogy again. No, but probably not, because that's just a whole... That's a it's big, a day. That's, that's a, a day. big commitment. <laughs> that's a day. But anyway, that's 51 through 60. Another great episode. We are done. We are halfway there. Yeah, this is... This feels really good, actually, because we've been halfway through this list um, we're hitting just really good films mm-hmm. films that we enjoy you can really tell that we're enjoying a lot of these films yeah. now especially the talk on Taxi Driver and Jaws I me mean, spent 20 minutes on Jaws I feel like oh, yeah. but um, yeah I'm really enjoying this so far um, sometimes we talk about sports on this and I want to say rest in peace Max Falkenstein sure. who passed away he was the voice of the Jayhawks from 1946 to 2006 mm-hmm. he passed away um, recently at 95 years old um, we want to Send our condolences out there to the KU community, and it's really sad. But thank you guys for listening. Sure. I've been Graham Cannon. Braden Shaw. We'll see you next week. <laughs>